0: In James 1.18, James revealed that believers have been born again by the word of truth. And then in James twenty one, 19, he explains how we are to continue receiving the word of truth by accepting and applying the scriptures. One accepts the scriptures by being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Believers, we can then apply the scriptures in two ways. First, we must remove and renounce all filthiness and wickedness. And then second, we must receive the word of truth with a teachable attitude or teachable spirit. In verse 22 of James 1, James uses the term but to imply that there is more to do with the word of truth. Listening to the word is critical to accepting and applying the word. But it's not enough. It is not sufficient to just be a mere listener or hearer of the word. We must be hearers who are doers of the word. Thus, in James 1, 22-25, James shows that there are two types of hearers. There are hearers of the word who are deceived, and there are hearers of the word who are doers. In his final analysis, James reveals that only those believers who are doers of the word will be blessed. So the first type of hearers of the word of truth are those who are deceived. Let's look at verses 22 and 24. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Again, the first type of hearers of the word of truth are those who are deceived. Notice that James here tells us to prove ourselves doers of the word. The verb prove, genomai, means to become something. We're to become doers of the word. It is a present tense imperative mood verb implying this is a sense of ongoing duty. Hence, he informs us that we are duty-bound, Christian. We are duty-bound to become doers of the word after hearing the word of truth. Now, the term doer, poietes, refers to someone who does an activity. It's used three other times in the epistle of James. James 1.23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, poietes, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. James 1.25, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, poietes. James 4.11, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer, poietes, of the law, but a judge of it. Now, poietes is only used two other times in the New Testament. Acts 17.28 and Romans 2.13. Acts 17.28, for in him we love and move and exist, even as some of your own poets, poietes, have said. For we are also his children. Romans 2.13, For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers, poietes, of the law will be justified. Whereas Acts 17.28 uses the term poietes to refer to a performer or poet, Romans 2.13 and James 4.11 refers to one who is a doer of God's law. James uses the phrase doer of the law to parallel... The phrase, the doer of the word. Contextually, the word in verse 22 of James 1 refers back to the word of truth in verse 18. Therefore, the word of truth is God's law for his people. That we are to be doers of the word or keepers of God's law implies that we must submit to its authority and comply with its commands. And the importance of being a doer of God's word or God's law was nothing new for the Jewish believers to whom James wrote. A common rabbinic proverb of his day stated this, Not the expounding of the law is the chief thing, but the doing of it. Paul echoes the same perspective in Romans 2.13 it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. See, those who are not doers are those who are merely hearers. The term hearers, akrotes, denotes those who listen attentively to what is being read. The term akrotes is unique in that it is only used four times in the New Testament. James 1.22, James 1.23, James 1.25, and Romans 2.13. James 1.22, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James 1.23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. James 1.25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Romans 2.13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. See, by referring to these believers as hearers, acrotes. James implies that they were listening attentively to the word as it's read and explained. Perhaps some of you listen attentively to the word as it's read and explained. But he states that they are merely hearers. Merely, monos denotes that listening is the only thing they're doing with the word of truth. Is that you? James' point is that being Quick to hear is not enough. We must do more, believer. We must act upon what we have heard. See, the problem with listening attentively to the word without doing what the word says is that it causes us to delude ourselves. The verb delude, paralegizomai, means to reason or rationalize fraudulently, to think irrationally. It's to be blinded to the reality of our actual condition. This verb is only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Colossians 2.4, to warn us against being deceived or blinded by the persuasive arguments of false teachers. Colossians 2.4, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. See, Paul's warning in Colossians 2.4, needs to be heeded as much today as it was when he wrote it. Just because someone's argument may be persuasive does not make it correct. And believer, you would do well to take the time to fact-check what is being said to determine if it is genuine or if it is nonsense. This is why Paul commended the Bereans because they fact-checked what he said against the Scriptures. Acts 17.11 says, Now the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Now James previously warned believers to not be deceived about God's character. James 1.16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift proceeds down from the Father of lights. Now, James warns us to not be deceived about the character of God's word. We cannot be passive to the demands of his word. See, if you're a hearer of the word but not a doer of the word, you are guilty of of wrongly reasoning or rationalizing away your passivity to the commands of Scripture. Now you may be able to convince yourself that listening alone is sufficient. However, God says differently. Do not be deceived, believer, by the false notion that you can be a hearer and not a doer of God's Word and be right with Him. Which are you? Are you a doer? Were you deceived? Now, in order to drive home the point that merely listening to the word is not sufficient, James gives us another illustration. Formerly, he compared the word of truth to a seed. Now, James compares it to a mirror. He states that the person who listens to the word of truth but does not do what the word says is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Note that this man looks at his natural face. The verb who looks at kananoeo means that he just doesn't take a look, but instead takes his time and fully realizes what he sees. As well, the verbs in the present tense meaning that he keeps on looking. He's fully aware of what he sees. What he sees is his natural face is genesis prosopon. That term natural genesis means origin and is the same Greek term which the Septuagint translators placed upon the first book of the Bible, genesis. The phrase natural face literally translates as the face of his origin or the face given at his conception. In other words, the man sees his true self including his imperfections. The mirror, esoptron refers to a small hand-held mirror, usually made of polished brass, silver, or gold. And while such mirrors were reflective, they were not as reflective as modern mirrors. The inability of these mirrors to give a clear image is what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 13.12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. The term dimly, enigma, from which the English term enigma derives, implies some degree of obscurity. In other words, though the mirror provides reflection, it is somewhat obscured. Nonetheless, it's reflective enough to show the man his imperfections which need to be addressed. Sadly, this man takes his time looking in the mirror and is fully aware of his imperfections, yet makes no attempt to address those imperfections. James says that once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. The verb looked at, kanoneo, again means that he takes his time and he fully realizes what he sees. But the tense here has changed to the air is tense. His time of looking has passed. It's now time to address what he sees in the mirror. However, instead of fixing his imperfections, He's going away. The verb going away, means to move in a different direction. In the context, a person looking in the mirror to make corrections, such as fixing an out of place hair, cleaning soil from the face, or even removing food from the teeth. But instead of making such corrections, this man went in a different direction. He did the opposite. He left the imperfections, the messy hair, the soiled face, the dirty teeth, He remains in the same state he was in when he first looked in the mirror. And furthermore, the hearer has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. The term immediately, euthios, means at once or without delay. The verb forgotten, epilothonomia, means to neglect or overlook. See, it's not a case of a bad memory, but bad priorities this individual immediately overlooked what the mirror showed him about himself. He does not remember because he doesn't think it was important. And throughout the Old Testament, God warned his people about the danger of forgetfulness. Deuteronomy 6.12, Watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Deuteronomy 8.2, You shall remember all the ways in which the Lord your God has led you. Psalm 103, verse 2 and 18 Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts and do them. Malachi 4, 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him. Remember, don't forget. Sadly, Many professed believers look into the mirror of God's word. Become fully aware of some imperfection or sin in their life and yet willingly overlook it and continue if there is nothing wrong. Is that you? My friends, if you accept the word of truth for its salvific benefits, then you must also submit to its authority and comply with its commands. As James demonstrates in verse 25, a lack of doing or following the word implies that you have not genuinely accepted the word of truth as the authority in your life. In fact, you've deceived yourself about the genuineness of your faith, a topic which James will address in chapter 2. The second type of hearers of the word of truth are those who are doers. Those who are doers. Verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. The second type of hearers of the word are the, of, are those who are doers. Now in verse 22, James commanded believers, commanded us to prove ourselves doers of the word. That is, we were duty bound to become doers of the word after hearing the word of truth. As previously stated, James makes the case that a doer of the word is a doer of the law. And he's going to further that case here in verse 25. His point in this verse is that a doer of the word is the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Now the verb looks intently, pericupto, means to gaze at without outstretched necks. It implies exerting effort to see something. This verb describes the disciples' actions when they looked into the empty tomb. John 20, verse 5 and 11. Stooping and looking in, John saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. See, John and Mary Magdalene did not take a simple look or glance at the tomb. Instead, they exerted themselves. They stooped down to examine the inside of the tomb. Peter also used this same verb in 1 Peter 1:12 to describe the angels in heaven straining their necks with intense desire to get a closer look or better understanding of our redemption. 1 Peter 1.12 It was revealed to them that were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. See, whereas the hearer only holds up the mirror to his face and does nothing, the doer sets the mirror down on a table where he can bend down and examine his face more closely. James now refers to the word of truth as the perfect law, the law of liberty. In the Greek text, it actually reads as the perfect law of liberty. The term law, nomos, here is articular, meaning it has an article. Dana and Manti states that the function of the article is to point out an object or draw attention to it. Its use with a word makes the word stand out distinctively. Ken We says the article is like an index finger pointing out individual identity. Thus the addition of the article to a noun makes the noun specific rather than general. See, it's the difference between reading the book and a book. The book refers to a particular book which a book may be referring to any book. James is not referring to any law, but to a specific law. And as to which law James refers, note that he refers to it as perfect, teleos. The term perfect, which is used to describe God the Father, Matthew 5, 48. Your heavenly Father is perfect. That God is perfect implies that he is complete and lacking in nothing. As such, he's unblemished, he's without defect. God's perfection is demonstrated in his blamelessness and righteousness. And by applying the same term to the law, James is denoting that this law is God's law. As well, he's making an allusion to the Old Testament. Psalm 19, verse 7 states, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. According to Victor Hamilton, the term restoring, sub, combines in itself the two requisites of repentance, to turn from evil and to turn from good. Hence, God's law plays a key role in salvation. It leads to Christ, resulting in repentance from sin and faith in Christ. Galatians 3 24. Therefore, the laws become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. That God's law as a tutor plays off the Hebrew term for law, Torah, which means instruction. See, for the Jews, the law or the Torah referred to God's instructions for being holy like Him. Leviticus 11.44 Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. As such, God's law consumed every part of their life. Now, if it is the means, if the law is the means to learn how to be holy like God, should not we be consumed with obeying God's law? Indeed, Peter quotes Leviticus 11.44 in 1 Peter one fifteen and 16 and applies it to us. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, we need to understand that there are three particular purposes for God's law. The law has a civil purpose. It restrains sin and promotes righteousness. Romans 4.15, For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation. Romans seven seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." The law also has an instructive purpose. It convicts us of sin. It commends us to the Redeemer. Romans three nineteen to twenty. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in a sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Galatians 3:24. "Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. And finally, the law has a directive purpose. It governs our lives. John 14:50, "If you love me, keep my commandments." First, John 5:3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments." Second, John six, this is love that we walk according to His commandments. My friends, the word of truth is not only the implanted seed that regenerates, it is the perfect law that sets us free. No doubt James is alluding to Jesus' statement in John 8, 32. The truth will make you free. Hence, James refers to the word of truth as the law of liberty. Liberty, eletheria, refers to being made free from servitude or oppression. While most people view the law as as restrictive of freedom. God's law grants freedom, freedom from enslavement to sin and the oppression of death. Indeed, my friends, doers of the word ought to view God's law, God's word, as the object that liberates or frees them, frees you from immorality. It frees you from impurity. It frees you from sin. It frees you from death. And that phrase, looking intently at the perfect law, then conveys the idea of studying God's law for the purpose of applying it to one's life. Regarding the study and application of God's word, Kurt Richardson said this, Apply yourself to the word so that you may be able to apply the word to your life. How about it? Are you studying the word so that you can apply it to your life? The one who meditates and studies God's word or God's law abides by it. The verb abide, paramino, means to remain in a place or to keep on doing something. That is, he keeps doing or obeying God's law. James states that the doer is not a forgetful hearer. See, whereas the mere hearer goes away and forgets, the hearer who is a doer remains and obeys God's law. Now, I know some of you listening are going to immediately reject such a notion. You're going to immediately say, well, I'm free from the law. Believer, you need to be aware of such a claim. Satan has shrewdly planted lies that God's law has been annulled by Jesus and replaced by grace. By scheming to remove God's law, Satan has removed a critical means of worshiping God. John MacArthur stated this, When we obey the law of God, we give ultimate honor to God. We affirm his holiness and we seek to imitate his holiness. That's the highest and noblest kind of worship. So to come along and say that the law is unimportant is to say that the very nature of God and the will of God as reflected in his law is insignificant and unimportant, which I see as a blow or a strike against the very character of God. That is why at the end of Romans 3, Paul says, after talking about justification by grace through faith alone, he says, do we nullify the law? And then he says, No, no, no. God forbid. But we establish the law. See, Scripture records Jesus' claim that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. The term abolish, kataluo, means to completely invalidate something which has been in force. Jesus said he did not come to make the law invalid. Instead, he came to fulfill it. Laonita's Greek-English lexicon in the New Testament states that fulfill polaro means to give the true or complete meaning to something, to give the true meaning to, to provide the real significance of Strong's Concordance further clarifies this definition. It states that fulfill, plerao, means to cause God's will, as made known in the law, to be obeyed as it should be. James, Jesus also said in John 10.35, the scriptures cannot be broken, luo. The verb broken means to annul, dump, to do away, to declare unlawful. Now, if the scriptures cannot be declared unlawful, then the law contained therein cannot be annulled or done away. Therefore, to claim that Jesus annulled the law is to purport a lie of Satan. Satan's lie also purports that grace has replaced the law. Such lies based upon a twisting of Romans 6.14. For sin shall not be a master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, as to the idea that grace supplants the law, I want you to consider the following question. If you're pulled over for speeding, and the police officer graciously does not issue you a ticket, does his grace abolish the speeding law? Of course not. The officer's grace does not nullify the speeding law, and therefore the idea that grace has superseded the law is fatally flawed. See, in the context of Romans 6.14, Paul is rebutting the idea that we are free to sin because we're under grace. Contextually, there are two key phrases in Romans 6.14 which must be considered. The first phrase is, sin shall not be a master over you. Master, curio, means to be ruled by something. Another word for rule is law. The second phrase is, you're not under law. Under refers to being under the control of something. In Romans 3.9, all people are under or controlled by sin. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Now, believers, since we're no longer controlled by sin, then we're no longer rule, ruled by the law of sin and death. Therefore, it's not the law of God that we're no longer under, but the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. And the law of the spirit of life is none other than the law of God, which is the perfect law of liberty. See, my friend, when you came to repentance and faith, the perfect law of liberty sets you free from sin's bondage and death's grip. And James states that you who hear and heed the perfect law of liberty, you are an effectual doer. The term effectual, ergon, describes the doer as actively undertaking the duty set before them. In other words, whatever he hears or learns from the perfect law of liberty, he acts upon it accordingly. That is, the doer is obedient to God's word. Are you obedient to God's word? And because he acts upon what he hears, he obeys God's law, and James states that he will be blessed in what he does. The term blessed, (makirias) means to have joy to possessing God's favor or grace. Previously, James used this term to describe those who endure trials. In James 1.12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trials. As noted in James 1.12, the announcement of blessing is known as a macharism. The use of a macharism or blessing derived in the Old Testament to identify those who possess God's favor. Since James is exhorting us to be obedient to God's law, he is alluding to one particular macharism found in Deuteronomy 11.26-28. to I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I have commanded you today. And the curse, if you do not listen to the commandment of the Lord your God. See, the Deuteronomic blessing can be summed up succinctly obedience brings blessing, and disobedience brings cursing. Jesus himself echoed this very precept in Luke 11 and verse 28. Blessed are those who hear the word of God, and observe it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught this very precept in the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. Jesus explained that both of these men built houses. The wise man built his house upon a rock, a solid foundation. The foolish man built his house upon sand, a non-solid foundation. And when the stormy season came with the rains and the floods and the winds, only the house built upon the solid foundation survived. According to Jesus in Matthew 7, 24 and 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man. In other words, if you're merely hearing the word and not doing it, you are a fool. And ultimately a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. However, the one who hears the word and does it is wise. So which are you? Are you the wise or are you the fool? My friends, you do well to examine yourself to see if you're wise or foolish. Hear and heed what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does... The will of my Father who is in heaven. Believer, beware. Only the doers of the word, only those obedient to the perfect law, the law of liberty, will enter into heaven. It's only the doers of the word of truth, the perfect law of liberty, who are blessed. And they're blessed with the glories of heaven. See, believer, if you're simply a hearer but not a doer, you're going to be cursed. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, 23, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And lawlessness, anomia, from which the false teaching of antinomianism derives, refers to someone who violates or transgresses God's law. See, friends, just as trials test your faith to prove their genuineness, so too, whether you obey or disobey God's law, will prove the genuineness of your profession. As Paul stated in Romans 2.13, For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. It's ridiculous to think that someone would look in a mirror, see something amiss, and not try to correct it. After all, what is the point of looking in the mirror in the first place? It is equally ridiculous to listen to God's word and not obey its commands. Now, you may offer excuses that God's commands are too difficult and too burdensome. But that's another lie from the devil. God says that His commands are not burdensome or too difficult. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11, This commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. 1 John 5, 3, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11, that term translated as too difficult, pelot is in the niffle stem, which literally means to be difficult or hard to accomplish physically, mentally, or ethically. And out of reach, rahokh, means too hard to understand. Hence, Yahweh saying that His law is not too hard to obey in any spectrum of life or hard to understand. My friends, the goal of any sermon or Bible study is to foster obedience In the lives of the listeners. Paul said to Timothy, all scripture, that's the doctrines, the genealogies, the psalms, the proverbs, the prophecies, even the difficult to pronounce names and places, are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul's point here is that the purpose of scripture is to apply the scriptures, which leads to obedience. Righteousness. Sadly, I fear that too many professing believers are satisfied just with filling their head with a bunch of knowledge without ever applying it. I hope that's not you. Hear and heed James' charge. Do not be the type of person who hears what someone is saying and then walks away not remembering what was said. When a person acts like they're listening but doesn't remember what was said, it's most likely because, not because they have a bad memory. In reality, they determine what the other person was saying was not as important as what they're thinking. Too often, that's the attitude we have towards the Bible. Maybe that's even the attitude you have during the sermon. How many of you listening actually listen to the entire sermon? and your thoughts weren't wandering on other things. When your thoughts wander, you reveal the thoughts of your heart. You reveal what you really want to think about. Believers, we need to make every effort to listen attentively and deliberately to the Word and then work to apply and obey it. Let's pray. Precious Father, we come before you and give you the thanks and the praise for this Word, this challenge to us. We need it so desperately. Because Lord, our our thoughts are scattered. They're all over the place. And too often, Father, we treat your word just as another person. Oh, we appear like we're listening. We may even listen attentively, but then we just walk away and forget what we've heard. We don't make the hard changes. We don't do the difficult work. So Father, forgive us. Father, when we look into the mirror of your word, I pray that you would... Show us those areas that need to be addressed. But then, Father, help us to address those areas. Help us, Father, to not walk away, but to rather conform to your commands. Lord, we don't want to deceive ourselves. So help us to be doers of your law. We pray in your son's precious and holy name, amen.